If you're a guest with us, we are finishing a series of sermons studying the book of Jude. And our time together this morning will be greatly helped and far more enjoyable if you keep a, a copy of God's Word open and in front of you the whole time. And if you came here without a copy of God's Word, we should have one underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, you should feel free to just grab one of those, turn it to page 1027. You'll find the book of Jude wedged between 3 John and the book of Revelation in one of the smaller general epistles that we have. Uh, we're going to ask you to be there with us throughout the time. And if that's uh, a Bible that you don't have, uh, we would love for you to just feel free to take it home with you. Consider that a gift from us to you today. I'm going to begin reading in Jude, verse 1, in just a few moments. Today, we'll focus our attention in particular on verses 24 and 25 as we close out this study. And as you turn to Jude, you'll remember that we have seen that this little book is among the most relevant in the New Testament helping us see that errant teaching and immoral living have dire consequences. Since how we live, not simply what we profess to believe, is the most reliable indicator of what we actually believe. But what we believe matters. Because as Jude has taught us, just as God's people will be kept by Jesus for glory, so God's enemies will be kept by Jesus for judgment. And there is a judgment. So the church must labor, labor to keep herself in the love of God, to persist in the love of God. But now, as they persevere through this world of falsehood, Jude says, praise the only God. Praise the only God. Jude writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks with the, to us with the same authorities of Jesus Christ himself for here speaking to us today. Verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel, Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These 
are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the wind, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning. Help us to listen to your word. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, that we might hear the beauty of the gospel in the word of God. Father, I pray that you would help me guard my mouth. I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight and useful for your people. Father, we ask that you would help us to hear And to apply that we might not only understand better, but that we might now live differently because of what we have heard and understood. Father, we ask in these moments that you would do this for us, your people. And Father, we ask that in these moments you would do for the person who is not one of your children, not one of your people, the good work of redeeming grace. That you would open their eyes to see. That you would give them ears to hear that you would remove the heart of stone and cause them to be born again, that they might be regenerated by the Spirit of God. And we ask all of this in the name of our triune God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. The fall of Mark Driscoll and the collapse of Mars Hill, the death of Darren Patrick, after being removed from his pastorate. The posthumous exposure of Ravi Zacharias 
for all of the sins that he committed during his ministry that he covered up. The firing of Steve Timmis after writing so many useful books and serving so many churches with Acts 29. If these super-Christians couldn't make it with all of their gifts and all of the resources that were at their disposal, what hope have you and I this morning? If these people, leaders, evangelical servants, were unable to make it to the end, what confidence do you have this morning that you will make it to the end? Similarly, you can imagine the Christians receiving Jude's letter thinking, if these Christians who were with us, if these Christians who were one of us, if these people who had heard the gospel like us, were unable to make it. What hope have I that I will persevere to the end? But so as not to leave them in despair, Jude says, Praise the only God, because the church is kept by God. Notice first, praise the only God who is able to keep you. Look with me again in verse 24, please. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You'll remember that Jude's little letter was written to a church that had been infiltrated by false teachers. Jude calls them, verse 4, certain people who have crept in unnoticed, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. No one saw them coming, and they twisted the truth when they were in there. And it seems that they were teaching that God's grace and His forgiveness meant that you could live any way that you wanted. That it didn't matter if you pursued holiness. That God doesn't care if you live morally upright. That you can do whatever you want with your body because it's your body. So they were, verse 16, following their own sinful desires. And verse 18, following their own ungodly passions. And in so doing, verse 4, denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. As they, verse 8, defile the flesh. And verse 19, cause divisions. Friends, I wonder if you realize that 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 is what is happening when you sin. Causing divisions. Your sin... Even your sexual sin never happens in a vacuum. It disrupts your life and the lives of people around you, whether you're married or single. The lives of people who are members of this church with you. God's grace was being made into an excuse for immorality and licentiousness in the church. These false teachers had come in and said, you can do whatever you want because God forgives. So at the very beginning of His little letter, Jude exhorts the believers in the church to, verse 3, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Perceiving a real threat as he looked into the church, he wants them to labor diligently 
He wants them to labor diligently to make sure that they are holding on tight. Holding on tight specifically to the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. To not let that go. Because that is what they will need to be able to persist as they endeavor. Endeavor to build one another up in the most holy faith. As they endeavor to continue in the faith themselves. That what they would need is to grab on tight to the gospel and remind themselves of the gospel. And he warns them about God's coming judgment against sin and rebellion when he perceives this threat. And he tells them on that great day when God will come, verse 15, he will come to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You will get away with nothing. Just as they got away with nothing. It may seem to go unnoticed. And it may seem that no one cares. And it may seem that God is not paying attention. But Jude tells us that it has gone noticed. And that God does care. And He is paying very careful attention. And He will come to deal with it. And then, in the verses immediately preceding our text, as he perceives this threat, he tells them to keep themselves in the love of God, verse 20. But you, beloved, but you, in contrast to them, these people, them, those, you, differently, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Perceiving a real threat, Jude exhorts and warns and instructs the people of God. But now he tells them something about God. That is, that He is, verse 25, the only God our Savior. And specifically, he tells them at the very beginning of verse 24, that this only God, our Savior, is able. There is something that perhaps Jude's readers at this point are nervous about. Something that they are worried about as they have read through Jude's letter and they have begun to understand, at least in part, what is taking place as these false teachers have crept in and started to ruin the fellowship of the body of Christ and to disseminate a false teaching. They're worried that there's something that God wouldn't do for them anymore. Or perhaps God couldn't do for them because of their sin. Or because of the threat that is actually facing them. So Jude, so as not to leave them in despair, concludes his letter with a certainty. God is able. Fear not, little flock. God is able. And what is he able to do? He is able, verse 24, to keep them from stumbling. Now in the context of the book of Jude, you can understand why that is so important to Jude's readers. These false teachers have infiltrated the church. They are a real, lethal threat to the spiritual flourishing and the vitality 
of this church because they are like, verse 12, hidden reefs at their love feasts. They are lurking about, waiting to pounce, to destroy and harm. And they are, verse 4, designated for condemnation because they threaten to bring others down with them. Much like so many other people, they are not content to be in their sin by themselves. They are looking to have other people participate with them. Not simply because they love their sin, but because they want to be right and show that their sin is right. There's a real threat and a real danger. And their very presence among the people of God brings up lots of memories for Jude of spiritual disasters from the Old Testament. So as we're reading through the book of Jude, we see in verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 11, Cain and Balaam's error and Korah's rebellion. All famous examples of people rebelling incredibly against God. Despite who God is, despite what God has done, they have rebelled incredibly against Him. And they have all endangered the people of God. Their sin was not just their sin that caused problems for them. But in all of these instances, the people of God and the line of Jesus Christ was endangered and threatened. That is what these false teachers are threatening to bring into the church. Rebellion, destruction, condemnation, damnation, anarchy, judgment. They are a real threat for Jude. And they are a real threat for Jude's readers. There is a real spiritual danger. There was then and there is now. Brothers and sisters, do not simply think that because you have trusted in Christ that there are no threats and no dangers. There are threats. There are dangers. And they are seeking to pull you away from Jesus. So Jude is reminding these people of these threats. Reminding them and us that many people shipwreck their faith. That many people shrink back and are destroyed. That there are still others that go out from us. That there are others troubling God's people with their words and unsettling their minds to draw away the disciples of Jesus from Jesus. Friends, the reality is, as we read through the book of Jude, that not all who start well finish. And let's face it, Every church, even the healthiest church that we've ever been a part of, sees people not make it and drop out over time. I do not mean drop out of the particular membership of a specific local church. That's cult talk. It is not spiritually disastrous to not be a member of Christ Church Westchester. But there are people who abandon the faith and they walk away from Jesus. People who formerly seemed passionate about the faith. And they spoke about the faith. And they read about the faith. And perhaps they preached about the faith. And they led other people to the faith. People who were faithful followers of Jesus. And we don't want to be like them. We want to be those who follow Jesus all the way to the end. 
So Jude tells us that God is able. God is able to keep us from stumbling so that we don't abandon the faith. So that we don't walk away from Jesus. So that we don't stop believing and turn away from the Christ who saves us. So that we don't end up going under the judgment of God, bearing the judgment that we rightly deserve. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. They are to contend for the faith. They're to be a people who learn about the faith and study about the faith and contend for the faith because that is the only place that salvation can be found. There is no other name by which men and women will be saved other than Jesus Christ. The faith about Jesus Christ and Him crucified as a substitute for sinners is the only place that there is salvation. So they are to contend for it and learn about it and preserve it. And they are to strive to keep themselves in the love of God, verse 21. Because to persevere in the faith requires effort on our part. No one drifts towards godliness. There is a real danger out there. They are to beware. They are to contend for the faith that has been delivered. They are to beware and keep themselves in the love of God. They are to beware and not walk away. They are to believe and be faithful and know that God is able to keep you from stumbling. God is able to keep us. Friends, these words are meant to lighten our load in the book of Jude. As we come to the end of this book, Without verses 24 and 25, what we've heard are, there are people who walked away. And they are all going to be judged disastrously as their sin has caused disaster. You keep yourself in the faith. And if Jude stops there, everybody in the room thinks, no chance am I going to make it. These words are meant to lighten our load as Jude introduces a different word from the word that he uses in verse 21, though English translations translate both of them and render both of them keep. In verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God has the sense or the idea of watching. They are to watch and pay careful attention to and endeavor to make sure something is okay, specifically the faith. They're to look after it and preserve it and keep it and guard it and to make sure... That they persist in it because perseverance requires effort. Perseverance requires concentration. Perseverance requires holiness in your participation. Perseverance requires that you continue to learn and grow in the faith so that you might continue to persist in the faith. You can never stop learning and stop growing and stop being holy. But here in verse 24... When Jude tells us that God can keep us from stumbling, he is using a word that has the sense of protecting. A word that has the sense of guarding. That God is keeping us from something harmful. And when you understand what Jude is saying here, these words are incredibly encouraging because you know, if you know yourself very well at all, that if it all depends on you, if it depends on you doing a good enough job, if it depends on 
all of your effort, if it depends on all of the self-control that you personally can muster so that you separate yourself as far as possible from the last time that you have sinned out, if it all depends on the amount of devotion that you can stir up and conjure up whenever it is that you read the Bible so that you can focus and think, I'm going to believe in Jesus, then you know, if you know yourself well at all, that you're never going to make it. And you don't have it in you to persevere. Brothers and sisters, thank God your confidence, your hope, your hope for a bright tomorrow has never been and cannot be in your ability to persevere and preserve yourself. It must be in the fact that your God is, verse 24, able to keep you from stumbling. He is the only one who is able to protect you and guard you and keep you and preserve you and persevere you, something that Ada Habershon knew very well when she wrote in the 18th century. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Friends, in a world where we see people give their lives over to sins, in a world where we see people who were one of us turn to false doctrine and unbelief, in a world where we see people who professed the name of Christ give their lives over to immorality and the cares of the world, Jude closes his letter by pointing to the certainty that God is, verse 24, able to keep us from stumbling into apostasy. God is able to keep us from denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ, ultimately. And that certainty gives us hope because even though false teachers threaten, and they do, those who truly belong to the Lord will never surrender because God is keeping them. Those who truly belong to the Lord will continue to be faithful until the end. Those who truly belong to the Lord will persevere because God will keep them. He will hold them fast. Are you weary? Heavy laden? Come and lay your burdens down. Jesus calls you. Jesus draws you. Rest in him. I know that there are some of you who are trying really hard. And you are wearing yourself out trying so hard. You read and pray. You come and you serve. You give and you study. You evangelize and participate. And at the end of every day, you feel empty. And you know, I can't do it. It's not enough. Come to Jesus and rest in him. Believer, you can rest in him because your faithfulness to the end is not and never will be and never has been due to your own inner strength that you can conjure up. It is God's work. God himself keeps you from falling away and he gives you the grace 
so that you desire to keep yourselves in the love of God. You keeping yourself in the love of God is God keeping you in the love of God. And friends, that is good news for you. When Jude spoke of God's ability to keep Christians from falling away, he did not merely mean that Christians might be able in the end to perhaps someday, just by chance, be kept from falling. Jude swoops in at the end of his letter and he says, God will keep you. He will preserve you. You will make it if you have trusted in Christ. It is a certainty more sure than gravity. He gives us grace so that we desire to keep ourselves in the love of God. And that does not mean that you will be sinless. We won't. You aren't. And God has not promised that you will never sin. You have, and you are, and you will. But He has promised. And He has promised that He will preserve you from being given over to it ultimately and from abandoning the faith once and for all. He will hold you fast and He will keep you repenting and He will keep you believing because the church is kept by God and the church, therefore, is to praise the only God. Notice second, praise the only God who is able to present you blameless. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He is able to keep you, and Jude tells us, he is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. But to appreciate what Jude is saying very much at all, we need to grasp at least a little bit of what Jude means by glory. On the one hand, we use the word glory as a synonym for honor and reputation, which is why when we're reading through the Bible, we see that the Bible talks about God's glory in relation to how he brings honor or prestige to his name and reputation. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting... My name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. But on the other hand, God's glory in the Bible is a brilliant light that surrounds his presence. So sometimes we see an incredible light when God reveals himself in the Bible. And that light is referred to as God's glory, communicating his glory and his holiness and his perfection and his beauty. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. I know that some of you thought I was leaving then. Revelation 21, verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, 
for the glory of God gives it its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Now, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, of which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. When Jude talks about believers standing before the presence of God's glory, he is referring to believers standing in the presence of God's light, of standing in the presence of God's holiness and perfection and beauty. And that, my friends, is the prize that Jude is holding out in front of these Christians at the end of the journey. He's saying that is the prize at the end of the line. When we behold the king and his beauty and see the land that stretches afar. Not simply making it there, but beholding God in all of his radiant splendor. Beholding God in all of his light. Beholding God and seeing God as he is. A day is coming for the Christian when we will experience the presence of his glory in the most complete way that we can when we see God. And friends, when we do, we will be overwhelmed, completely undone at the greatness of his glory and majesty and beauty and perfection and splendor and astonishing light of his omnipotent might and his gentle love And we're in his presence and not consumed. More overwhelming than the most overwhelming moment of your life. The birth of a child, a spectacular view, a stunning piece of art, or an exquisite piece of music, or an incredible performance. I don't know if you're here and you're a Christian today, or if you'd rather be someplace else listening to someone else. But doesn't something in you long for that? Doesn't something in you 
desire to experience the greatness of the presence of God's glory. And though you won't answer right now during the sermon, I know that the answer is yes. I know that the answer is yes because the Bible says you have been made in the image of God. And being made in His image, you long for the greatness of the presence of God's glory, even if you won't admit it here this morning. And that is why you are so desperately looking for something or someone to just give you a glimpse of it. But athletes and actors, places and people, all ultimately fall short of the longing that you have, no matter how impressive they may be. Everything and everyone falls short of giving you what you desire, the presence of His glory. But Jude says your craving can be satisfied. Your desire can be met. Your hunger can be satiated when you stand before the presence of His glory. And how are you able to do that, sinful though you are? How can sinful people stand before the presence of His glory? How can sinful people stand in the presence of this holy God when we see time after time after time in the Bible that when they do, they are utterly undone, like Peter and John and James on the Mount of Transfiguration. Though they are with Jesus, they are terrified and silent because they don't know what to say. They can stand, Jude tells us, before the presence of His glory when God presents them, verse 24, blameless. Beloved, God is able not merely to present us in the presence of His glory. He is able to present us blameless. God is able to keep us from stumbling. Praise God. But even if He kept you from stumbling today, all of your past stumbling would still bring you into His presence full of blame and full of guilt and full of doubt, even if you never stumbled again, which is why it's never enough for you to make the deal. God, if you just get me out of this mess, I promise I'll never do it again. Because even if he gets you out of the mess and you never do it again, you are guilty from everything else that you have done previously. We can only imagine what it's like for God to so cleanse our lives that we would be able to confidently come into his presence without any blame without any guilt, without any shame, we can only imagine what it would be like to be blameless and guiltless and shameless. Because we all know we are to blame. The pastor and everybody else. And we are guilty. And we should be ashamed for the way that we have lived our lives. We have sinned. You have sinned. We have not been or done what God requires in His Word. We have failed to live up to God's standards, missing the mark time and time again. And we have failed to live up to our own standards when we have actually lowered God's standards to make them achievable for us. We miss the mark, and we miss our own mark that we reallocate for our own acceptance. Or as one of my friends once said, the only parents who think that they are doing pretty well are the young 20-somethings who either don't have kids or have a newborn. If you ask them 
what it's like to parent, they have all kinds of advice for all kinds of people. They know what to do and they know how to do it and they know when to start baby Latin with their kids and all the right catechisms and all the right books that they're going to do. But as their kids age, or when they hit what he called the dumpster fire stage, when you have two or more kids in diapers, they begin to realize that none of their parenting techniques are flawless. And they have two kids who are two completely different people. One sleeps and the other doesn't. And one cries and the other always cries. And one yells and one never yells. And one's happy and one never eats. And one won't eat if you pay them. And they just fail their kids time and time and time again. To parent is to fail your kids. To be a husband is to fail your wife. To be a wife is to fail your husband. To be a friend is to fail your other friends. To be a Christian is to fail your God. And to fail to live up your own standards. It's to fail all of the other members in this church. Failing God's standards and failing your standards. But God, Jude says, is able to present you, verse 24, blameless before the presence of his glory. And that is incredible news if you are feeling blame and guilt and shame for the failure that you actually are. Because on that day... You will not feel the weight of blame or guilt or shame. There will be no fear in his presence. There will be no sense of inadequacy. You will not feel how you have missed the mark or if you have failed to live up. Instead, there will be, verse 24, joy. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And now to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Joy. And not just joy, great joy. And why? Because God is able to present you blameless before his presence. How? Verse 25. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, God presents you blameless before him. Not because God came in and rewrote right and wrong so that your sins are right and not wrong, but because he sent Jesus and substituted Jesus Christ for you on the cross to bear all of your blame and to bear all of your guilt and to bear all of your shame so that you might be made blameless. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Colossians 1. Perhaps my favorite letter in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. And some of my favorite verses in this most favorite epistle of mine. Favorite because, like many of you, I remember what it was like to not be a Christian. And I remember to consciously think unchristian things and do unchristian things. And then Paul says, Colossians 1, verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Blameless has the sense of acceptable because in the Old Testament temple worship, only spotless Blameless animals were acceptable to be brought into the presence of the Lord. Friends, this is the great benefit of Christ's work for us. Through him we are presented blameless before God our Savior. 
Through him, we enter into God's presence blameless, without guilt, without shame. And before his presence, there is great joy for us in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken, smitten down by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon upon this Christ was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All through Jesus Christ our Lord. And not simply that our blame and guilt and shame might be dealt with, as if that were not great enough of benefit, but that we might live a holy life. Take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I know we're moving around a lot today, but some of these verses are too astonishing for you to not see. Notice as Peter tells us about the substitutionary work of Christ, he does not simply say, Jesus is great because you don't feel guilt. He says, chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. One of the best things about the letter of 1 Peter is that as we come, we see that Peter is not simply saying, don't do these things, don't do these things, die to self, don't do these things. Peter is saying, live. Live a full, holy, happy, pure, godly, God-honoring, God-pleasing life. Live to righteousness. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for you. And because he died for you and suffered for you and bled for you and gave you his spirit and rose from the dead for you and has ascended on high and is praying for you, you can live a holy life. Brothers and sisters, the benefit of Jesus' work for us is that our blame and guilt and shame have been dealt with decisively on the cross. And we are empowered by that substitutionary act for us and for our salvation. To live pure and holy and godly lives as God keeps us. Let me ask you, Christian. Have you been working hard to keep yourselves in the love of God? Have you been pursuing holiness? A holiness without which the author of Hebrews says no one will see the Lord. Or have you been drifting? Drifting through the Christian life. Drifting through the motions of this service. Drifting through the actions that you do in the membership. No one drifts towards godliness. Jude knew that. So he exhorted these believers to be confident. God will keep you. And he will present you. So labor hard to be holy. But what if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ? Friend, I want to thank you for coming. We love having people with us on Sundays, and it is a privilege to have those with us who are not yet believers. And I want to tell you how you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and a recipient of all of these benefits. It is incredibly simple in the Bible. The Bible is a big book, but it has a very potent and wonderful and simple message. The Bible says that you need to repent of your sins and believe. You need to turn away from your sins and turn toward God in Christ. In faith, believing that he lived and died 
and rose again for you. And if you do, the astonishing promise of the Bible is that you will be forgiven of all of your sin. You will be reconciled to God. You will be made right with God. Your relationship with God, which has been severed because of your sin, will be restored, and you will be in fellowship with God in Christ. All of your sin in the past, all of your sin in the present, all of the sin that you will commit until the Lord comes, or you leave this life and go home to be with the Lord, will be forgiven, and you will be made righteous or blameless before God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of the Spirit. Friend, do you want to do that today? You can do that today here in the midst of this very service. You can ask God to forgive you and you will be met with astonishing mercy and the forgiveness of Christ. Come to Christ. Trust in Christ. Hope in Christ. Be born again by Christ. And let me ask you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, what prevents you from coming to him today? Is it the fact that many people in the room already think that you're a Christian and you would be ashamed? Friend, I can assure you that the great joy of every person in this room would be to know that you have truly come to faith in Christ. Is it because you're already on the membership role of this church, but you know that you're not a Christian? Friend, I can assure you that there would be no greater membership interview to do than one for somebody who is actually a believer and says, I repent, and I knew that I was false, and now I trust in Christ. Is it because you're afraid of how God will treat you? If you come to him and tell him the truth and tell others the truth about how you're living your life. Friends, anyone who remembers what it's like to be lost knows that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. In his great mercy, he meets us with forgiveness. And he will meet you with forgiveness today. Come to Christ. And if you have more questions about how to come to Christ, or what we mean when we say that you can be born again and forgiven of all of your sin, come find me. Come find Maxwell, who's presiding. He's on the front row today. Find one of the members, one of the elders following the service. We would love to sit down with you and open the Bible and tell you more from God's Word. Believers, Jew tells us, experience joy. And their joy brings honor to God as the provider and the protector of their salvation on the day when He makes them able to stand in His presence and present them blameless. No wonder, Jude says, you will stand there with great joy in anticipation of the astonishing mercy that they don't deserve. God will complete His saving work on that day when believers are ushered into His presence without fault because the church is kept by God. And they will on that day praise the only God when He causes them to stand blameless. Notice third, the only acceptable response. Look with me again in verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What response does Jude require in light of God's ability to keep us and to present us blameless in his presence? Nothing. Last night when reading this passage with our kids around the dinner table, Megan and I asked them to find the imperative or the command in the text as I read it. And after reading it, they were all confused and began to highlight things from the passage that weren't an imperative because we had asked them, find the imperative in the passage. 
They were confused because there is no imperative, there is no command in verses 24 and 25. There is only Jude's example as Jude praises the only God. As he praises the only God who is able to keep us from stumbling. As he praises the only God who is able to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And as he does, so Jude erupts in worship as the glory ascribed to God is now expanded in verse 25 so that glory and majesty and dominion and authority are all attributed to this great God. This God is worthy of honor because he does the protecting and saving and persevering. That is why he is wonderful and marvelous, worthy of all honor, infinite honor, infinite praise, infinite worship, because God will keep his people. And this God demonstrates his greatness by making unworthy and unholy people blameless at great cost to himself. To redeem you, God substituted his son so that you might be born again. And this God proves his power by keeping his people faithful to the end. Because you are weak and you would never be able to make it without him. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. Because without him and the help of his Christ and the power of his spirit, you would have no hope. But in his Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And this God shows his authority by doing what no other so-called God can do, commanding allegiance from the nations. The astonishing thing is, is that this was not for a select group of people. It was for all peoples. Now as the gospel is moving away from Jerusalem, it was for peoples who were not Jews by birth. They were not Israelite descendants. They were people who were being brought in from the nations to bring God honor, to bring God worship, to bring him praise. Because this God is able to command worship from all peoples everywhere on planet earth and make them gather together under one banner and rally them unified in his Christ that they might worship and praise his great triune name. And this God's honor, majesty, and power are eternal. They are, verse 25, before all time. God has always been worthy. He has always been this worthy. And he is worthy of our worship, verse 25, now, as we prepare to worship him, verse 25, forever, because he has done so much for us. Friends, this life is a prelude for the next. Your whole Christian existence is a prep song for the service that will never end. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the ways that God keeps you from stumbling as he prepares to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, is by stirring your affections through his word and in services like this to worship him. So let me ask you, as you've come in here, have you just been going through the movements of our worship without an awareness of God and all that he is worthy of, of all of the glory and acclamation and praise that are due his name? Jude's example 
is not a prayer wishing that this would happen. Jude's example is an expression of reality as he models for us what it's like to be worshipers because we will worship. It's an expression of reality because of who God is and what God has done. All of the praise and the power are his forever. And his readers can rest secure in this truth as Jude himself did. God will keep you and God will present you blameless. You can rest secure in these truths today, brothers and sisters. Because God is sovereign and in control and the direction of all things is at hand. As we praise the only God. Because the church is kept by God. And you can signify your affirmation of believing in these truths today with Jude and with me by saying with me now the last word of verse 25. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to believe what we just affirmed within a hearty amen. That our God is able. He is able to keep us. He is able to make us blameless. Father, we ask that you would help us to rest in the surety and the certainty of these wonderful and beautiful promises. And that you would stir our affections even now to sing with your people as we look forward to that great and awesome day. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and continue in worship with us?